I think the biggest thing is being is is having to say no to people because there are so many people that want to help and there are so many people that need help. Um, but we have limited resources and energy and we need, you know, and we have a particular set of skills that are really quite useful at this, at this juncture in time. Welcome. Thank you so much for being part of today's very special World Extreme Medicine live session on uh, the Ukraine convoy that Mark and Luca um, put together. By way of introduction, we have two incredible um, members of the WEM faculty and in fact fellows um, in extreme uh, wilderness and Wilderness Medicine. Um, here with us today, we have Mark Hannaford, founder and CEO of the World Extreme Medicine um, organization, as well as Luca Alfetti, who has an incredible background as an extreme medic who has trained as a paramedic. He has been on hundreds of expeditions. And what we're going to talk about today, um, some of you who may have been following along Mark and Luca's journey since the whole invasion of Russia into Ukraine began, um, we know that the mantra of WEM is where humans go medicine must follow, and that includes war zones. Um, so when the Ukraine conflict and humanitarian crisis first arose, uh, WEM leapt into action. So I think I'm going to leave it there, and then maybe Mark and then Luca chiming in. Just tell us about what has transpired on the WEM side, what you did with the convoy, and um, tell us how how this went from conception to getting the first convoy done and planning for many more. So Mark, I'll get you to start and then Luca um, to add your thoughts as well. Thank you, Sean. It's been very much a team effort, I have to say. The, um, you know, women has a unique network of um, people in its, both in its faculty, but it also in its much wider community that, you know, have, have a pretty re incredible range of skills. And, we held off doing anything for the first initial period because, you know, in our own teachings, we talk about the fact that actually in terms of responding to situations like this, be it a war zone, a disaster, humanitarian crisis, you know, the big agencies do a good job. Um, and what blocks the, the logistical chain is people turning up willy-nilly with... Um, yeah, random supplies, all well-meaning, but they can actually become an impediment to getting help to people that need it most. So we help out. Um, but given the fact that, as I said, WEM has a you know fairly eclectic and massive network of people with some really incredible connections and uh, and skills, we spotted a gap where uh, that skill set would be really meaningful and well used, and that was running uh, trauma supplies at a high level to the front line, um, be that um, the units on the front line or civilians affected by the conflict. So with, you know, with Luca's help, we built the, a kind of really specialised, really targeted and actually quite quick um, series of convoys that are going into Ukraine and delivering medical aid, trauma aid to those people, those, are, you know, essentially our medical colleagues on the front line who need it most. Um, Luca, I don't know whether you want to, to join in and 
you know, talk through, you know, how we've kind of evolved this because it has been a very much an, an evolution and it, and it feels like we're, you know, we've grown really rapidly. To be honest, somebody asked me the other day how much of my time this now takes up and I, I reckon probably about 150 percent it's you know, it's been it's it's quite an interesting intellectual challenge and uh, emotional challenge as well but Luca how about from your side yeah uh, yeah so hi good evening everyone uh, so it, it has snowballed um million times fold uh, from what Marcus said basically yes we waited and like everyone else there's been like Everyone sitting at home, it's like, uh, what can I do? What can I do? I know I've got the skills, the set to maybe help somehow. It was just like how that was the main, you know, how are we going to do this? And uh, um, just looking back at what Wem did a few years back with the convoy in Syria, uh, we just thought, well, what they're really needing, what they're asking for is uh, medical supplies. And there is... And just following up from Mark, actually, there is a, a huge concerted effort from the big organizations and governments, uh, and they're all doing a fantastic job. However, without getting into details of politics, things sometimes slow down. Uh, so we, um, with our contacts and uh, with uh, a, lot of, um, uh, a lot of time, <laughs> and, and a lot of time on the phone and on WhatsApp and Signal and so on, uh, we have um, uh, individualized like a, a quite neat small group of doctors, uh, nurses, but also logisticians, not necessarily medical professionals. And we basically just respond to direct needs and lists that come from the front line. Um, and we, we also got a couple of other things that have really gone down really well uh, uh, with the help of a lot of partners, this is not just Mark and mine effort, uh, it's a WEM effort and there's a lot of other partners actually involved with this. And um, they've all recognized the expertise that we can bring. And basically uh, we've got um, a couple of things actually that are really um, our target um, and is trauma boxes, uh, stop the bleeds kits, uh, and basically anything that is like trauma uh, frontline clinics and hospitals um, and basically uh, after we managed to put together the very first convoy a couple of weeks ago and came back from that um, that's when the things have really um, exponentially grown and now we've got loads of other partners that come in, into place and everyone has got their own little bit of uh, you know a bigger machine if you like uh, and we're actually getting ready to set off in the next 24 to 48 hours again. And this is this is a great starting point because I have so many more questions. Um, but I want to pick up on two things that both um, Mark and Lucas said. So, Mark, um, I want to start with kind of talking about what you alluded to very correctly in in a conflict zone. There are so many moving pieces, and it's kind of dealing with this push pull of. Yes, there are going to be big organizations going in who have the networks there, who know, you know, this, this, this needs to be done. And then at the individual level, um, uh, you know, there's the, hey, I want to do something. I feel I should do something. But um, we also know, um, Mark, as you alluded to that, you know, it's not, it's not as simple as saying, hey, I'm going to, here to, I'm going to be here to save the day because that actually often confounds um, uh, the, the situation more if you're un, 
unused to, inexperienced with conflict zones, um, you know, you have to find that right niche of where can I help? Am I the best person to help? Um, am I experienced enough um, to do this? Uh, and can I guarantee, you know, myself and my team security? So um, you alluded to a little bit, but Mark, I wonder if you can go into um, talking about how you finesse that, hey, this is the, you know, this is need um, for, for trauma supplies. This is a gap we can fill. I think it, it, it actually came out of a, an evolving conversation between Luca and I about what we could do. When we went to Syria and supported the People's Convoy there, we fulfilled a role that was um, security and logistics. The aim of that kind of convoy was, was very targeted and very precise. Once the last children's hospital in Aleppo had been bombed, we helped to deliver uh, pediatric sort of hospital on a truck that was sent into 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 syria and you know for for pediatric care and we started off the ukraine with the same precept actually that actually we would um be best suited to deliver trauma and pediatric sort of supplies and stuff but we that that's morphed and changed and become much more focused as the the situation in Ukraine itself has changed. So we're very much focused on trauma. And I think the lesson there is, and I think Luca would agree, is we went in with a, you know, with a with a mission in mind, but actually that's become very much more refined and targeted as we progress. And I think that's really useful. We've wanted to prevent what's called mission creep, where you kind of say yes to sort of ever increasing demands outside of your board you know what you, you set as a remit at the beginning and we we've been quite strict in trying to keep to our mission and i think that's useful in a number of different ways it's allowed us to uh you know focus our resources time and energies and something very specific it also gives people on the outside a very clear understanding of what it is we are there to do both on the Ukrainian side, but also on the on the domestic side. And on the domestic side, you know, clearly that's very useful for fundraising and people understanding um, what it is we 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 are trying to address. Um, Luke, I don't know whether you'd like to add anything else to that or to to add on to that. No, it's uh, it's it's pretty much that, and the specificity of it is that we got you know, we we speak to the frontline uh, doctors, paramedics, and healthcare professionals. And yes, everyone all across the country needs the same thing um, in huge quantities. However, we can target what we think is most needed, um, specific, or we can just do some sort of intervention specific to what they need. And it can be different stuff. So it's not like anything um, from, um, uh, as I said, uh, the the one boxes that we put together with festival, for example, they are they're, they're, they are um, a big hit. They're really uh, useful in that sense. But there is uh, all the estetonic cases, the hemostatic agents and so on, that, as we know, they're needed in massive quantities. However, they're really hard to deliver in big Arctic trucks, for example, as maybe many big organizations are trying to do. So we've got our small little network of, um, of specialists within the country, including, as I said, logisticians and medics, and we know that within 24 hours of us delivering our, you know, the, the things that we take over there, they get to the front line, to the peninsula, to the hospital that needed most, or we, we think they needed most. So we are a small part of a big um, operation, but we, we are getting the feedback, is helping, is useful, please 
uh, please bring more. Absolutely. And um, I have a few more questions that I want to get to, um, but I also want to remind the audience that this is your hour. So if you have questions for Mark and Luca, just put them in the chat and we will make sure that they get asked um, as time allows. So the second question I wanted to ask um, was, Luca, you had alluded to the, the Syrian convoy. Um, so were there lessons learned from putting together that convoy that at least laid the groundwork for getting this convoy um, off the ground and, you know, into operations? Um, was it vastly different? Was it maybe not translatable? Um, how did those two experiences compare? Well, I, to be fair, I wasn't actually fully involved with the Syrian convoy. It's just something that I followed very, very closely, and that's where the ideas came from. But obviously, Mark was on that convoy as well, and he actually drove all the way there. So I actually feel it's probably better for Mark to answer this question. Mark, what do you think? Well, I think um, it's it's we were we played a supporting role in the Syrian convoy. Rolla Hallam um, headed up that convoy, and I think what we learned from we we took away from that convoy. Um, and other things that we've done since, like supporting the Myanmar medical community during the coup, is that it's it's there's a, there's, there's a desire to help because you you, you react as a human to, and emotionally to what's going on there. But you need to have value, and you shouldn't be getting in anybody's way. So you've got to be quite strict with yourself to ensure that, you know, you have a relevancy there. Because if you're not relevant in that environment, in that sort of, in that crisis, then all you are is an impediment to other people getting help there. So it's, it's being relevant, making sure that what you can provide and what your speciality is, is, is one that's needed. The other bit is, and I think, as I said in the, the first paragraph, is staying sharp to what it is you want to do and not sort of taking on too much because it allows people both either side of the equation to understand how they can help you, but also how you can help help them. So I think that's the, the biggest takeaways. The, the other bit is that actually communication is essential to, in order to garner support. These funds, you know, as probably, most people probably know, you know, the donations that come in, World Extreme Medicine underwrites all the costs of the operations. But we do rely on fundraising in terms of being able to finance buying the supplies. And so communication with the, your fundraiser is also critical. And Luke and I have set a, a network up where we will ask for evidence of, of delivery. So the actual deliveries are, are accountable as well. Um, and one thing you might want to speak about, Luca, is that the no harm policy with the you know the, the, the equipment that we're sending out um, that you've developed with Dr. Joe Roll. Yeah, so uh, the, there is, as you would expect, the more the more we we uh, successful in what we're doing, the more obviously requests we're getting, and we're getting quite a lot of requests that are not really medical medically related. Uh, oh, we can get anything from like bullets to um, vests to helmets and all of this stuff. Would you be able to get it to us? So we've been very very clear and very strict to the fact that all we're going to deliver is medical supplies and nothing else, uh, just because we uh, we know who we're delivering into and we know where they get to, it's still a war zone. So we don't know if uh, anything gets intercepted. It's just like everything will, uh, it's, it's basically our no harm sort of like policy. We're going to stick to what we know as well. That's what we know. We know medicine. We know what we can provide. Uh, and we're not, we're just going to stick to that. I think that's what you meant, Mark, isn't it? 
Well, I was thinking it was, I mean, it's actually, it wasn't what I meant, but actually that was a great, uh, great thing to say. It was um, the fact that the, the, the kit was surprising in terms of using Pentrox in terms of... Oh, trans- yes, sorry, yes, sorry. So we were also, um, as I said, we uh, later we come up with this uh, um, idea with Joe, actually, the, the medical director, system medical director as well, to try to provide um, a, a mini kit, if you like, that is a stop the bleeding kit, I like to call it, um, and it's basically uh, Pentrox uh, for pain relief um, right there and then, which is very, very effective. And then we're going to provide TXA, um, autonexamic acid, um, which is uh, for, for the ones that are just a, a, a drug that's really uh, effective and is becoming um, really, really common for hospitaling. Uh, to give to any major trauma patients, um, which uh, they can inject themselves on uh, intramuscularly um, with a minimal training, uh, and um, ciprofloxacin as well, like an antibiotics that they can again um, inject themselves um, intramuscularly right there and then just to start the uh, the process. On top of that, we are delivering a lot of uh, hemostatic agents. Uh, we had like a half a million, well, four hundred fifty thousand pounds. Uh, donation of uh, quick clock salaxes as well, uh, sal- uh, quick clock um, hemostatic agents. Um, so we're basically focusing on this stop the bleed um, trauma uh, first intervention. And then with the trauma boxes, we're looking at that sort of like few hundred meters back, sort of like uh, control from like tourniquets uh, to um, uh, field dressing bandages and uh, field um, stretches, if you like, to then be moved to a little bit of a more like definitive care. The, the what, what we were concerned about, Sean, is that by delivering medical supplies without any clinical governance above the, above what we were doing would mean that potentially we were delivering equipment that could be reused improperly. And could cause harm rather than so we've been you know quite quite careful in terms of you know what we are sending to make sure the clinical boxes go to clinicians but anything else you know shouldn't anybody using shouldn't be able to harm themselves more than um than gaining benefit and we're also working to be fair we're also working on uh, a training so we we will be delivering um uh, a training on what we are actually uh, giving them as well um uh, to clinicians and then and, and it's something that needs to said like uh, frontline there's not a huge amount no we think about like our army uh organized with like loads of like medics paramedics nurses and so on and so forth that join the front line a lot of the armies in ukraine is also people that just enrolled you know uh, civilians and so on and so forth so they're not necessarily every single unit gonna have medics frontline it's just not happening not possible uh, so we're looking at a bit of training for medics and then can sort of like triple that training down to whoever is frontline. Um, and even to be fair, in my head, even if you say one or two, we've done a good job, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, and that, that's um, a perfect time to get into one of the questions that has come up from the audience. They're wondering about the composition um, of the team. So, Luca, you're a paramedic as well as an extreme medic, um, as well as an expeditionist. Um, Mark, you've been wherever there's there if there's an extreme place, you've been to it. Um, who uh, ha, has this convoy so far been? The two of you have there been other um, medics or um, EMTs or physicians on these convoys to date? Well, uh, the uh, the lead for our next convoy is an eye surgeon, 
uh, tough. Uh, they, I'm actually waiting for a phone call tonight. Uh, so we've got a delivery happening. Uh, if, if I need to get on the phone, sorry, I guys apologize. Um, and then uh, um, I had another paramedic uh, with me uh, on and Mark on our last, uh, on our first convoy. But it's not that it doesn't have to be necessarily a, a medical professional. So there is uh, an element of us. There is quite a few of us, uh, which obviously help us in uh, in putting together the kit, the convoy. We know what we're taking. But um, we had um, loads of help from like driving, for example, to um, in country is actually a logistician that is not a medic that is looking at making sure that we get all the paperwork rights. Um, that we get all the permits that we need. And we've got um, a lovely lady called Stiklana, for example, that has become sort of part of the team with us. That's not a medic, but it's a, a civilian, um, Ukrainian civilian that has been, um, since the war began, basically, has been helping uh, getting uh, supplies in between Poland and Lviv. So, yes, there is paramedics, there is doctors, uh, there is the whole WEM family behind it from a clinical perspective. But um, we are not at the moment delivering frontline medical care. That's not what we're looking at doing. Uh, we are delivering medical supplies and we're providing a training to the Ukrainians to then do what they need to do. So from end to end, take us through a convoy. And you have both of you have um, some amazing um, photos and images and videos on your social media Um after the fact, once you've been out of uh, off the hot zone um, of something of what the convoys looked like. Um, but take us through like what the that first convoy was from deciding to start. You were driving for something like 18 hours a day and um, what you did for security were how often, you know, were you genuinely threatened for your security? How often were you on high alert? Um, I would love to hear about that. So maybe Luca, we'll start with you and then go to go over to Mark. Yeah, I can cover like the, uh, the, the, well, the, the the putting together of it, if you like. And uh, um, we basically just came up with the idea, put something on, uh, you know, a few uh, messages to friends and family, social media and so on. And basically we were able to pretty much fill up the whole of the first convoy with uh, very high quality medical donations, actually. Um, the first convoy was uh, four drivers, myself, Mark, Peter and... Um, and Mike, and two band, two large long wheelbase sprinters, uh, basically filled to the brim with uh, medical supplies. Um, and then uh, we uh, basically just drove. Yes, so we set off. We lo- load them up ourselves up here in uh, in Manchester, where I, uh, where I'm based. And then we drove. I think an average of about sixteen hours a day, from the wrong mark, but um, not not far from that. Um, on the first, to be fair, the first night uh, was quite uh, posh. Uh, we got the ferry across and then slept uh, in, a, in a nice ferry. But other than that, we then drove. Um, and with the help, to be fair, of uh, uh, one of our uh, contact, my contacts in uh, Poland, Lucas, is another logistician, actually. Uh, we've been able to then build a lot of more contacts through Poland, especially, um, where... The, where the convoy from the UK unloads and then we reload in Poland and uh, with different vehicles and different um, uh, team we get into Ukraine. So we're not, um, we're not getting, the, the, the team that's driving from the UK, it will, uh, even this week, is not going to cross into Ukraine. That would be something that Mark, myself and a few others would be doing. 
And then, Mark, um, one thing I know you and I have touched on in conversation before is the security, you know, not using your phones, um, you know, not posting any of this till you were out of the hot zone. Do you want to add something about that? So, I mean, it's simplistic to say you're in a war zone, you've got to be careful, but you are in a war zone. You do have to be careful. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) you know, it is a change of mindset. So, obviously, you're, you know, having... Uh, overseas UK Western phones is is an issue because they can be tracked and you they can you know you can be uh, spot, uh, pin, pin spotted from that. Um, one of the one of the things about modern technology is so for instance if you happen to live near a, a, a large army base or military base here in the UK or the states wherever you're coming from, I may not have actually gone on to the base, but it can be logged that your phone was there and then logged again that it was in the Ukraine, you know, and if you're on the other side of this conflict, that would seem like a, a possible target for, to be attacked, especially if there's two or three of you together. And I think that was, was one of the cases with the uh, missile attack in Lviv. So, you know, there's, there is a security element and it is a serious uh, security element. So not using a mobile phone, your UK or American or German registered phones in country, um, using local phone networks so that you don't sort of get flagged up on on the let's call them the opposition's um, sort of battle board as being a possible target. Um, we went in relatively lightly the first convoy because we wanted to test our network and to to start meeting people. But we're going um, for a more extended period on the second trip, and then you know it's. Warfare is random, so you can cover your security as much as you like, but actually there is an element of risk, um, but it's being sensible. There's a curfew, so we, you know, traveling at night is, 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 wouldn't be a sensible idea, even if there wasn't a curfew. And it's just listening to local intelligence and getting intelligence in from the outside about where 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 the conflict's moving to, where it's springing up to. But it is random. The the, the opposition used lots of artillery and, and remote causing damage remotely. So there's always the chance that that could happen. But that's part and parcel of the uh, the uh, the undertaking. Yeah, we're getting you know. we're getting continuous uh, we're getting continuous reports from our partners as well, like proper you know, security reports. Um, the plan is not fixed, is uh, which is a very important thing for us. We don't have like a set plan when we're crossing. We're going to keep it flexible, and it all goes depending on what happens on the day um, and on the daily security reports as well. Yeah, and you know it's it's exactly as you both say. It's maintaining that it's preventing you know planning to to be safe, not using your phones. It's maintaining that situational awareness and you know that you are in a conflict zone, um, and then you know adapting as the as the circumstances demand. Um, were there were there times you know that you said, oh, this is dicey. We should you know we should stay put or we should you know deviate from what our our planned. Um, passage was or you know were there was it mostly we've we've maintained we've pre- planned to be as safe as possible we're maintaining that situational awareness um you know that you know you're at you're at high alert but you've never really pushed to the edge or were there those moments whether you're like this is this is kind of a lot well there was i mean i, I suspect on the the first convoy we were briefed by um 
a friend with knowledge in this subject matter not to go anywhere near a sort of major hospital or an airport or, you know, those kind of things that would make obvious targets. And of course, the first place we delivered to was a hospital on the edge of an airport in a military base. And so it's kind of, you know, all three of those hot topic, hot ticks, things we should have avoided, we were there straight away. And there was a sense that actually, you know, you needed, that that, that was definitely a potential target. So, you know, just being aware and actually just not staying there too long. We, you know, when our job is done, once we've done our delivery, then scooting on to the next location because it's of no value to anybody if we're there when something happens. Um, can you please expand on the emergency action plans and security planning that was put into place? Did you have security percent personnel escorting you? Did you have a comms link to military personnel? Um, anything else you want to add on that front? Luca, do you want to pick up on that one? Yeah, so uh, emergency action plans and security planning. So uh, do we have security personnel escorting us? No. We don't have security personnel escorting us. We have obviously our um, contacts and our, our friends uh, and logisticians traveling with us. Uh, we are not, the, as we said, we're small, we're targeted, and we are using, uh, we're working with the local community actually to deliver to places that we wouldn't be able to deliver to or we wouldn't go ourselves uh, and uh, the, the big organizations have actually struggled to get to. Think about Mariupol, Kherson, Kharkiv. We have managed to get some of our equipment in, uh, you know, in those places. Um, so uh, I don't know if that answered part of the question. From uh, an emergency action plan perspective, we have uh, different organizations that are in country, and we have contact with these different organizations from security to government contacts to um, um, media contacts. And we get a lot of security reports from them. And we basically ourselves put them together and create our picture of what the situation is. Um, and then uh, we, uh, so we, we've got communication with Ukrainian um, sources and Western sources, both on the ground. And we basically can build our own picture of what we can or we cannot do, or we can can go or not go. Um, a communication link to military personnel, yeah, we do, but we're not using them. Or there's um, no need for us to use them at the moment anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the personal aspect of it now. Um, Two questions. So the first one is, um, how are you preparing yourselves very literally in terms of kit? Like you must be packing very, very lightly for this, you know, bringing very, just very much the bare essentials. Um, so that's the first question. And then the second part of is it, how is, how did you take care of yourselves from a um, mental health standpoint? Because what you're seeing is absolute devastation, um, lots of suffering. Um, you know, how did you f- make sure that you're coping with that appropriately? Yeah, Gemma, you go, you go. Um, well, in terms of uh, packing, you're right. It's um, it's fairly lightweight. So, you know, essentially, change of clothing, a sleeping bag, because you never know where you where you're going to end up sleeping. Um, credit card and money, so that you can move around, and a head torch. And that's you know, and aside from your passport, that's pretty much it. And we, and obviously, we're carrying sort of local phones. So that's pretty much all you need, isn't it, really? It's uh, the ability to be able to buy stuff if you need it, the ability to keep warm and dry, um, and the ability to to operate at night if you need to to exit somewhere quickly. Um, 
And that's it, really, from the personal kit point of view. What was the 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 rider to that question, Sean? I forgot the second bit. The second part of that was the the taking care of yourself from a mental health standpoint, with everything that you're seeing, and you know the the tight mission parameters. I think it's some of it is we, and if I'm honest, I think probably we're moving so quickly at the moment. Not much of this is having time to sink in and we were operating in western ukraine where whilst there's evidence of the conflict there isn't the the devastation that's happening in the east of the country i think and unfortunately um that perhaps is going to change and also the parameters of our what luke and i are doing in terms of the mission might alter that um but at the moment i think we're moving too quickly to really even appreciate and take that in but it's a good question it's something that will as we sort of spend longer and go further into the country and deliver more deeply into towards the front line that we'll have to sort of be taking into consideration because you you know you see this stuff on a day-to-day basis in terms of your work as the paramedic yeah so i don't have that and this obviously got well known is a huge topic in in health in, in general what, what what do you do at the moment nothing uh, just because i don't have the time to do anything um, yeah. It's uh, not this is literally taking over our lives at the moment. On top of having full time job and, uh, and and a family to look after, so it's not some you, know, you don't have the time to think about it. Um, a lot of uh, what we, um, as, as also Mark said, we mainly operating in the West and then ourselves, and then with our connections. Obviously, what we need to get to the East to get to the East. So we haven't really seen anything. You know, I, I tend to say out of the ordinary, but I'm a paramedic after all, um, and um, I, I tend to be as an advanced paramedic. I tend to be sent to the you know to to, to the most critically ill uh, patients. So I am used to seeing, yeah, I'm, I'm used to seeing bad, bad stuff, if you like. So at yeah. the moment, it's not really. I don't really have any hints or tips or anything like that to give to anyone, just because I don't have time to. It's not sunken yet. What we're doing. Um, yeah, fair, fair enough. I think, I think, I think, I think we're completely honest. That's what, that's what it is. I think that's an absolutely fair statement. I mean, I think even when this all first happened, the world didn't process what was happening. So that's absolutely relatable. Um, so coming back to the first part of that question, when you're sleeping at night, like, are you sleeping in the back of the convoy? Are you sleeping with trusted contacts? Does it vary from night to night? Are you sleeping out in the open where it's maybe um, getting quite cold at night? Like, how does, um, take us into the logistics of that. So um, within uh, obviously within the, the, the convoy getting to the border, it's it's, uh, it's it mainly driving, and then with some of the contacts we've had uh, a homestay with some lovely Polish friends, and then a fire station um, that we've got access to uh, warehouses. Uh, within Ukraine, um, is 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 actually whatever possible because, as I said, the, the, the plan is. Uh, is uh, very, uh, how do you say, it can be changed at all times. We need to take into consideration curfews as well. So you might decide that, that you're going to leave to get to the next town, but if you can't make it within curfew, or you don't think you can make it within the curfew, then you're not going to go. So it's not like, like I'm going to book a hotel, or we're going to book whatever. We've got um, um, friends, friends' places uh, where we've got the option to stay with, and um, I mean Ukrainian friends, Within Kiev or Lviv or whatever else. Uh, otherwise, is uh, you know get your seat down in the car and sleep in the car or 
or, or whatever. So it's uh, it, that's why we got um, one sleeping bag with us, warm clothes, and uh, a grab bag if you have to run, and that's about it. So there's not there's not you know again a fixed plan for where we're sleeping. It can be yeah. anywhere. Um, just a quick question: with the um, majority of the population speaking perhaps Ukrainian, did you wrestle with language barriers? Did you um, were your contacts? Um, well-versed in the translation, were they mostly English-speaking? How did you approach that? So I, I don't speak Ukrainian. Um, I've been to Russia a few times. I've got a very minimal understanding of Russian. I do speak five languages, but none of them is useful uh, where we're going. Uh, so uh, it's mainly the, uh, the, 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 the need niche small little group of the of people that we deal with and then expand it they speak english um, fairly well um, so we communicate with them from uh, and, and that, to be fair that's been enough so far and i've just seen a question here actually about the experience encounter which i think is quite uh, relevant to just what you just asked the language but also have you ever been to ukraine no i haven't uh, to answer to Kevin, um, I have operated in over 100 countries before pre-post-war zones, Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, Chad, Nigeria. So um, we're not uh, close protections, we're not army, we are medics and we're trying to deliver medical equipment where it's needed most. And our experience so far, what is really useful our background is to actually understand people and see who we can actually trust or not trust. And I know it sounds really silly, but it's that gut feeling that you get in your stomach. Can I trust this person? I cannot trust this person. And so far, um, has been uh, has not failed us. I was actually sitting just uh, in the bed, and we brought four people together, four Ukrainians together. They are now working with us. None of the four of them knew each other before they actually uh, got in touch with us. And now they are in contact several times a day on a daily basis and they're making happen. So basically they are delivering medical supplies um, everywhere in the country and they had no idea who they were uh, before, you know, before then they, we put them together. So I don't know if they answered the question that Kevin has asked, but it's, it's more like the previous experience in, in uh, uh, dodgy, dodgy zone, if you like, call it whatever you like, uh, but no, uh, the in-country experience for me anyway uh, wasn't that. Um, I've got quite a bit now, though, if that helps. Yeah, think- you've, you've definitely been around the block, Luca, so I think mm-hmm. it's fair to say that, you know, you've seen a lot. Mark, sorry, you were saying something. Well, I think it's uh, the, the thing, the, the item, the point that Luca made about trust is that everybody we're using is, is comes reference from somebody else. They're a friend or a friend of a friend. Vetted, sorry. Yeah, we have, obviously, we do vet people as well. <laughs> so it's... Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's for, for a couple of reasons, to make sure that the stuff we deliver gets delivered to where we expect it to be delivered, but also to make it accountable so that the people who are supporting us, you know, also know that the money they're going is going into kit that then gets delivered to where we say it's going to be, whether that's a bit vague in terms of the exact destination, but it goes to the front line. Um, and actually speaking about vetting with the kit, now we talked about, um, you know, the, the number one rule that has to, you know, do no harm and, you know, be very focused on the medical. Um, does, was there a certain um, also quality um, uh, limits that you put in place that, you know, they cannot be expired? Um, 
they they have to be within uh, you know used usable within X amount of months. Um, was there a vetting process there? Uh, so uh, there is, uh, but it's not as strict as you may think. So uh, for anything, obviously, medications, medications, period. Um, with uh, uh, Festival Medical, who we work together, we do the um, trauma boxes, anything in there has to be, you know, within, uh, I think it's about at least 12 months expiration date or something like that, or something along those lines. But um, I'm actually quite pragmatic as well. And if I have been given, you know, some field dressings that, I, you know, they have expired, I am not turning my nose and say, no, I'm not going to bring a bag of field dressings that can actually be used. And obviously, if you're 20 years old, this is a different matter. But, you know, if you expired a month or two ago, uh, I, you know, it's stuff that is life-saving or, you know, that, that can help. I am not, I'm not going to throw my nose. So there are certain things that, yes, we're quite strict on. Other ones were more like, well, is this going to do any harm? No. So, so basically, we're not taking anything without checking it first. Yeah, would you agree, Mark? Would you be happy with that, Mark? Actually? I would be happy with that. And also, yeah. you know, just to, to highlight that we, you know, we, Luke and I are kind of, it's hard for us to see the trees for the woods sometimes. So what we've got is uh, Joe Rolls, who's our co-medical director, sort of just sense checking a lot of the stuff we do making sure that the clinical governance is in place he's not so in, in involved in the day to day and it gives him the ability to have a slightly more distance and uh pragmatic you know, skeptical view i would say just to make sure that we're doing what um is right and proper as well so there's a sense check in terms of having joe oversee us a sense champion. That's, I've never heard that term, but that's honestly the perfect term. In these extreme situations and conflicts, um, how does it affect the team dynamic? Does it bring out the best in your team? Are there more emotional aspects um, that kind of stress out the team and it affect your decision making? Um, and also, are you armed? And if so, what are you carrying? So we're not we're, we're not armed. We are so we're non-combatants. And to be honest, if we were armed and we were stopped at a roadblock, that would probably cause more problems than than would be solved by carrying a firearm. But in terms of Luke and I work together, but we've never worked together in this way. And so it's and it is interesting when you're and these situations do this, don't they? They throw people together that erstwhile wouldn't be working side by side. And I think actually the the team element of that is extremely important so we need to be conscious Luca and I need to be conscious of the way that we deal with each other and supporting each other but we also need to be conscious that the the people driving the trucks are volunteers you know they they come from disparate backgrounds and united by a common cause and we need to be uh conscious of how we deal with them to make sure that they feel uh, respected involved and thanked and uh loved if that's the right word um because they're giving up their time and they're giving up you know their their lives for for a short time to sort of assist us so you know the team element of this both in terms of getting to the border and then across the border is extremely important um and i guess luke and i both because of the, the experiences that we've had in the past in terms of leadership of expeditions and, and leading in extreme environments makes us very conscious of the value of, of, of how we use language and how we interact with people. Um, but to um, go back to this point, yeah, sometimes carrying a farm would, would gives you a sense of reassurance, but actually 
would make you possibly look like somebody that you're not, as in, you know, foreign forces or an agent or, you know, a saboteur. So it's easier not to carry anything and just be, you know, open-handed. So here's a question. Actually, as you were saying that, talking about the team, how are you guys feeding yourselves? Are you, do you have rations? Are you, you know, just going with what, what's available locally? Did you not eat for the entire time? <laughs> no, it's what, it's, what, it's what is available locally. I mean, there's a lot of people around uh, and uh, we are not going into, you know, besieged cities or anything like that. And it's not what, it's not what we're doing. It's not, you know, we're delivering into Ukraine and then it's, uh, it's up to the Ukrainian team that we go as far as we can go safely. And then it's up to the Ukrainian team to decide where, yeah. um, and we can give our advice, our, you know, we, we support them with it, but it's, you know, it's up to them to deliver it where they think it should be delivered. So they all, you know, we can find food. Sometimes you might go for hours without, just because you're in the middle of nowhere on a road, you know, it's not like, oh, there's going to be a McDonald's here and a, you know, a Burger King there. So you um, uh, you know, you, one thing that, for example, I advise to the guys uh, for the next convoy is to make sure that they go like a bag full of what they like, sweets wise, snacks wise. Um, so you know, you always have something there in case you really need it. If that makes sense. So that's part of uh, of what I actually bring in my backpack as well. I would have a few, you know, protein bars or whatever. Um, so yeah, no, we 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 can eat, not necessarily what we want, but we can eat. Yes. Fair enough. So this is actually really interesting because um, I know both of you um, have alluded to mission creep and, you know, trying to stay focused on your ultimate mission. And some examples you've given is, you know, Luca, just now you're saying not going any further um, than Western Ukraine um, and not going into the the besieged cities. Um, Mark, you talked about only strictly delivering the medical supplies, none of these bulletproof vests or bullets or anything like that. Um, how much do you have to wrestle with mission creep at every step? And how do you maintain the discipline to say, no, this is what we're going to focus on um, so that we can get what we need to done without overtaxing ourselves? I think it's, I think the biggest thing is being is, is having to say no to people because there are so many people that want to help. And there are so many people that need help. Um, but we have limited resources and energy and we need, you know, and we have a particular set of skills that are really quite useful at this juncture in time. So that's one of the things is when people say, can you take or can you deliver or can we have is, you know, there's actually saying, no, that's actually outside of our remit, you know, trying to pass them on to people for whom that might be a focus. But, um, but there is always a temptation because you want to help the inst- our instinct. Everybody's instinct is to help is to say yes. And it's difficult to, to say no sometimes. Every single request is read and every single request is bounced off like Mark or Luca or whoever else. Like I've got these, I don't think it's for us, but we, you know, we would like to help. Like, and it's a communication mark, isn't it? It's actually, we, we are on the phone, you know, all the time, several times a day. And it's like, I've got these. It's like, is it really, is it really what we're doing? Is it, is it sticks to our ethos, our mission statement? No, it doesn't. Uh, right. Is there anyone that might be doing that rather than us? And you just sort of bounce off and then say, like, there you go. There's someone that is looking for, if you want, that's, it's up to you. But saying no is hard. It's not easy. And I think that's probably for the people who are viewing and might be thinking of doing similar is, you know, is having that clear defined goal and aim of what you're setting out to do and, and staying faithful to it. But, and maybe, you know, we had the experience of doing this in Syria and, 
and to a degree for Myanmar with the, with the live sessions, but also with other projects. Now, maybe for people who haven't done something like this before, is writing all that down actually right at the beginning and having it there to refer to when it gets slightly fuzzy around the edges or late at night when you're a bit tired and stuff, you know, having, having that statement so that it refreshes what you're setting out to do. And I think this is the perfect time to highlight as we get into the last 10 minutes here is, um, you know, you guys are still doing amazing work. You've, you've done your first two convoys, right? Uh, you have many more planned. So what are your needs right now? What are your asks? I know there's a link for it to donate. I've, uh, I know a lot of us from the WEM community have donated. Um, you know, what do you need? And specifically, Mitch is asking from the Q&A, um, should he save recently expired equipment from EMS work in case of emergencies? Are there programs that we can recycle these into to send to Ukraine, um, especially especially with the plastic like tubes, um, bag valve masks, eye gels, the airway stuff, IVs? Luke, uh, pick I personally, especially for recently expired, uh, probably not everyone would agree with this, but I, I wouldn't have a problem. Um, I wouldn't put it on our Toma boxes or anything like that, but I would put them in, in big boxes at the warehouse. And then it's up to the doctors there if they want to use them or not. Because when you've got absolutely nothing and that's all you've got to use, yes, I would, I would probably take it in. Uh, but I wouldn't put it in the equipment that we sent from online you know, right away within 24 hours. Um, so yes, the, the question is yes. What we need, um, we are working on uh, on two two ways. So, um, you know, money, right? Uh, we got the Go, uh, GoFundMe page, uh, put it there. Um, I spent a lot of money in the last couple of weeks. I'm loving spending money, so that's what I mean. Um, but um, at the same time, uh, if you've got medical, trauma medical supplies, there are all... Uh, uh, high quality uh, and uh, you want to send them to us absolutely um, obviously send us an email tell us what it is probably we'll ask photos um, and uh, uh, we'll bet it and if uh, we think we can use it we'll we'll have it and I think it's very important to add sorry um, Sean it's just because uh, Mark I'm sure is going to say it but I'm going to beat him to the post on this uh, <laughs> when uh, and Mark and Hannah they're actually covering Everything that is not that is, that is actually the, the logistics for this, the vans, the you, you know the the the, the ferry or, or whatever, it's all covered. Every single penny donated, it actually goes to medical equipment. Um, yeah, else. I was going to say that I was um, in advance of this session. I was looking at both of your um, social media pages, so you might see a lot of likes from me. Um, but uh, that that's what you know. I really you know blew my mind is that this is this is not an easy or cheap operation and WEM is underwriting all of the admin costs which is awesome because so many times we see that you know a lot of um, donations um, get spread a little bit thin so props props to the World Extreme Medicine Organization. How do you keep track of all of this constant stream of information specifically the new people you meet their intentions the constant stream of information are you writing it down with pen and paper are you trusting your brains to remember it are you using google doc is it something else it's a really really good question and i'm trusting luca uh, it's a really <laughs> really really good question and i don't have a system yet because i've absolutely overwhelmed it's sort of like just by default uh, became sort of like they had an operation of this thing. Um, uh, so I am trusting my brain, to be fair, and I'm trusting my, uh, um, uh, my experience with names and so on. But I've got to be honest with you, I don't have a problem asking a question three times if I have to. 
Um, so, in the, especially in, the, in, the, in this weekend, we had a lot of uh, um, uh, very good partners that wanted to come in, in on board with us. So I've got thrown about 20 names. Um, so I will need to start a Google spreadsheet at some point. But at the same time, um, I'm delegating. So we've got our, our arms of the operation. We've got our finance, we've got our procurement, we've got um, uh, operations and so on and so forth. So as long as I know who's the head of each one of them, um, I can keep an eye on what's going on. At the end of the day, you can't do it on your own. No, but no way. <laughs> It is a really good question because these are people who, um, as a question elusive, people that we haven't been working with for a long time and they're friends of friends. They, yeah, it's, it is a tricky thing keeping track of everybody's, uh, all of the conversations. But, you know, going back to what I said before for myself and for Luca, you know, in terms of our activities, it's like 150% of our day now. So, you know, a lot of our energy goes into following these conversations and, and building these relationships. And as you develop them, they get easier. That's the point. Absolutely. So just in um, looking at the future convoy, so if, if I'm not mistaken, that first convoy was a four-day trek from start to finish. Is that is that accurate? I think it was. I can't uh, remember, actually. It's all a blur as we were just driving <laughs> yeah, the whole time. Uh, yeah, and obviously there was border crossing, going into Ukraine, did whatever we did there. Uh, it, it all sort of turned into a blur, and it felt like the day after I was home already. Um, but I think it was about four nights in total, three nights in total. That's what I think I remember from your videos. Um, yeah. You were alluding to being a little bit more complex with future convoys. Can you, as we as we wind down here, can you tell us about what the, the next set of... Um, mission objectives and convoys are going to look like in terms of length and complexity? The complexity is that, so Mark and I are not going to uh, drive on the convoy this time. We're going to meet the convoy um, and we're going to focus more on the uh, Ukrainian operation. Uh, as we had an uh, overwhelming uh, amount of people that uh, is offering their help, um, uh, would feel rude not to accept it. So we have obviously a team that is going to drive uh, the uh, the convoy. We're going to meet them, and then uh, at the border we're going to take over uh, the, the the operation in Ukraine. Just because we want to uh, understand better how we're operating, and we want to get even more targeted, if you can be. Um, so that's the complexity is uh, overseeing an operation from the distance in this case, so not being with the convoy or part of it anyway, part of the journey, and then it's sort of taking over and finishing that journey. If that makes sense, Mark. Yeah, I think what I mean it's it it, it became apparent that it wasn't sustainable for for Luca and I to keep on driving backwards and forwards and. You know, it was wasn't best use of our time. So we've each convoy will have different uh, volunteers on it, and we'll sort of be self managing. So that sort of takes a bit of a logistical weight away from us. Mm -hmm. um, and as Lucas said, you know, our intention now is to focus more on delivering into the into Ukraine, making sure that we're delivering the right stuff to the right people but also building personal relationships with those individuals so that we, you know, we can have face-to-face -face conversations about what it is they need. So, you know, literally hearing it from the horse's mouth. Uh, so on that front, so we, we've heard of how we can, um, we have a very keen audience here who wants to help. We've heard of how we can donate. If folks have um, medical supplies that are relevant to your mission, how do they get in touch with you? 
Um, just go on the GoFundMe page um, and then uh, I will get the message and then we can take it onto our private emails if, uh, you know, if, if need be. Perfect. And are you covered for personnel and team members at this time? Go waiting list. <laughs> no, but please, no, please send, uh, you know, if you want to help like your time, um, want to drive, uh, we have someone who's offered to drive their own, you know, fill up their van and the driver. So let's say, I'm going to come, can load my van, I'm going to drive it. So if you got, if you want to offer it that way, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to put it on, on our, on our waiting list. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I think the, um, you know, our response is, it's going to be a long, this is not going to be over quickly. So while kind of Luca and I are in the kind of, you know, the birthing stages, we're kind of growing it. As we, as time goes on, there's going to be a steady need for, for, for drivers and helpers. And it might well be that we, that we might allow some mission creep if it's relevant in terms of providing remote training and uh, advice. And those, that help is certainly very useful. If we can, you know, we were really grateful to a doctor called Mark Willis, who's a neurosurgeon here in the UK. One of the uh, neurosurgeons in the Ukraine near the front line badly needed to talk to a colleague, a senior colleague, and to ring a friend, essentially. Now, Mark was amazing in so much as within four minutes of texting, and he pulled over, and we managed to connect him with a, with a neurosurgeon in, in the Ukraine. So it's, it's, you know, we then step away from that relationship, but it's making those connections for people that then you know, they can develop into their own helpline. I think that's a really sobering um, thought to, you know, leave this session on as we wind down here today is, you know, Mark, you and I were talking about this in, in um, conversation prior to the session is that this, you know, unfortunately doesn't look like it's going to be over within weeks or months. This could be, you know, years in the making and, you know, just laying the groundwork to not just, you know, help during the acute phase, um, but as, uh, you know, as the conflict um, escalates, as we've been seeing it. So that brings us to the end of our session. Um, thank you so much for joining us for a, a really critical um, uh, WEM live, um, talking about the work that WEM is doing, sending convoys of medical supplies to Ukraine. And um, all the best, Mark and Luca. You just keep us posted on how we can support and amplify the mission doing um, important work in a conflict zone. Thank you, Ruben. Thank you, Shona, because I know you're exceptionally busy as well. So thank you for taking the time to join us this evening. Thank you, everyone. Good night. If you've enjoyed this episode of the World Extreme Medicine podcast, please subscribe, like and share. And if you want to meet lots of other risk-taking, rule-bending and inspirational people, then you need to be in Edinburgh on the 19th to the 21st of November for this year's conference. Tickets are on sale now. Go to extrememedicineexpo.com to find out more. <laughs> <laughs>